There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Where was our boys? Were they killed immediately and preserved? Or were they kept somewhere? And as a parent or any person that loves that person, that is huge to find out where they were for weeks or months. Were they suffering? Were they tortured? Were they drugged up? Or were they kept in a cooler, dead? Hey guys, and welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from a whiskey drinking Alexis Linkletter and next to a very ghastly white Billy Jensen. (laughs) (laughs) What? Thanks. You're welcome. I mean, it's, it's not not true. It is March 6th. 2019, which means it is Happy National Frozen Food Day. Ah, oh, you went with the one I wanted. And the first one that came to mind is remember in Goodfellas when they find Carbone in the meat truck and then they have to wait two days to thaw out the body. Oh. Now, actually, the guy that Carbone was based on, he survived. But that there, there was somebody from the Lufthansa heist that was murdered um, after, you know, they were killing. Um, um, uh, Jimmy Burke, his name was, not Jimmy Conway, were, were killing everybody that, that helped him steal all this money at the Lufthansa. But um, they, you know, everybody, all these future murder victims were going to get, you know, all these all this money. So they, they, they hogtied him in this portable meat locker. Mm. And it was found on January 17th, 1979 on a side street in Brooklyn. And they had to wait two days for his corpse to defrost before they could do the autopsy. Oh, yo, you can't do an autopsy on a frozen body. You got to cut through it and stuff. So, oh, right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. Woof. Okay, so <clears throat> as you guys have been listening, I'm asking my co-host a true crime question every day, and this is one that we've talked about before. But I want to get a little bit more focused in our answers, and that is, what would your last meal be on death row? And I want to do like you get five things, and what would your five things be? Well, the good news is a Happy Meal actually has five oh things God. in there. It has. Listen, since working with Billy, a Happy Meal is also on my list. <laughs> that is so odd. Well, it's only, I get it, it's only one of five things. Oh, if it's one of five. Yes. But I was saying okay. it actually has five things in it. But all right. What are my favorite things? Fine. Um, filet mignon. Okay. 
devil uh, uh entenmann's um fudge ice devil's food cake dark weird yeah okay uh let's see fruit roll-ups ew yeah okay were you raising a bunker i'm <laughs> <laughs> no, serious um if I get a Lunchables, does that, that count uh, as all? Lunchables? <laughs> that is the most Billy, unhealthy the food person in the oh, world. Oh, I'm sorry, but what am I? Uh, you okay. have the most unrefined taste out of anybody I've ever met can in I my get, life. Can I get beer? Yeah. Okay, can I get a beer? All right, yes. Okay. I would like a nice uh, a nice IPA from a local Ugh. establishment. And then uh, for my final uh, my final food. A dessert. Some sort of, well, I already have the chocolate cake. Oh, yeah. But, from Entenmann's. Um, from Entenmann's. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I would need to, you know There's what? There's no chock full of no, I gotta, There's I, no limit on the money you can spend I don't either. care. I got to stick with, with um, you know, it's on brand breakfast cereal. And I got to go like a Lucky Charms, like a good Lucky Charms. Oh Very fresh, fresh Lucky Charms. <laughs> okay. All right. Or, you know what? Actually, you know what? I'll take that off popcorn from oh main my. street at disneyland like the the actual popcorn they have to oh. bring it from there this is it gets worse i think he's gonna like redeem himself and it just gets worse i'm sorry i didn't say anything from <laughs> nobu all right alexis your turn <laughs> right, i'm gonna take the happy meal out in and out burger okay cheeseburger um katsuya baked crab hand roll mm. spicy tuna crispy rice sugar fish salmon we have one more thing. No, I don't. Big crab hand roll and spicy tuna is the same thing. No, they're not. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> then also sandwich. Yes. From All About the Bread and Melrose. Okay. Those are, you didn't get any sort of a dessert. I'm not a big, you know. No chocolate. I mean, the one thing I'd add is like I love a, a dirty martini with a blue cheese olive. That'd probably be the last. Oh, yeah. You need like a alcohol. Mm. So I take out the in and out substitute for that. Oh, my God. Mine would be in and out cheeseburger animal style mcdonald's french fries with in and out animal style stuff on them to dip Ooh, nobu (laughs) (laughs) really nailed it basic (laughs) nobu some kind of a platter of a okay a platter is not fair because i said two things that could be on a platter sushi fuck okay just one thing from nobu oh my gosh they're scallops, maybe. Right, I would else? also love like a pasta. Bloomin' onion. A bloomin' onion. Something fried and naughty. But Blo- I already have fries. fries. Yeah. And then maybe onion. like a like a mint chocolate chip ice cream covered in remember the um the magic chocolate shell? Yes. Yes. That because that reminds me of my youth. Mm. And then mm. and then a bottle of Prosecco and I'm good to go. Yeah. Or maybe like Aperol Spritz. Yeah, maybe that. Remember, remember uh, Timothy McBay's uh, final meal was Two mint chocolate chip ice cream. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. I mean, so that's probably my only connection. And to that him. means, well, you know what? That means if you have the same thing and you've done something bad, you will meet him in heaven or hell, as it was. I am assuming he's probably not going to be chilling up in heaven, but yes, he'll be in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. Yes, but tell us your what you guys would like for what? your what, no no the, um, the listener. I'm just speaking to the listener. Yeah, you can DM Billy with what you <laughs> would want no. for your first for your last meal because I don't have time to fucking feel. No, those. they can they can write on the Facebook page. Yeah, this would be a good this would be a thread Facebook on the Facebook group, page. Yes, I know. Also, join our Facebook. I haven't said that in a while, but our Facebook page is popping. All right, all right. Let's get into it. Alexis. Let's get into it. <laughs> Lock your doors and turn the lights on. Let's do this shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> we out here. What's up? Billy, take it away. <laughs> razzle dazzle. <sighs> Billy's face right now. Yeah. The old razzle dazzle. Let's go. Give him the old razzle dazzle, Billy. Mic drop. All right. Go. So you've had me set the setting for this story in the very exciting town of Casnovia Township, Michigan. The village of Casnovia had a population of 332 people as of July 1st, 2018. In 1880, it had a population of 196 people. There's not much going on in Casnovia. And I could make up the whole things that you hear in every true crime documentary about how this was a sleepy little town, but it really was a sleepy little town. Nothing going on. We can only hope to be in somewhere as serene as Casnovia Township. But anyways, the case today we're talking about, we're talking about a 22-year-old named Todd Geib. He vanished on June 25th, 2005, after leaving a party with his friends. And we were lucky enough, and Kathy was gracious enough, who is Todd's mother, to speak with us for this episode. And I will say, it is one of the most compelling interviews I think we've ever had. Um, Her honesty and her openness about this really traumatic experience is so inspiring. So I think you guys are going to love it. Our life is just very rural and simple, um, and we love it that way. Um, And Todd lived here up until he was 21, and then he moved out. He, um, to tell you what Todd was like, Todd was, um, he was a multitude of great and wonderful things. He was, um, he was smart, and he was so funny. He was the he was the kind of person that um, when you saw him coming, you knew you were going to have a laugh about something. <laughs> he had a little bit of a twisted sense of humor, which I think he gets from me. Um, uh, he was um, he was caring. Um, he was a hard worker. He um, he he loved to cook. He he loved hunting, fishing, working on his truck, um, all things masculine. He was a very masculine young man. Um, loved his family, very close to his family, all of us. You know, very affectionate with with all of us. Um, he was just a great kid. Well, when um, Todd moved out um, at 21, um, he first moved in with his sister and lived in her basement. He just wanted to be on his own, but he ended up living with his sister until he could get an apartment. And then he ended up um, renting a room from my niece who lived on Half Moon Lake. Um, she uh, was renting rooms to several young men. It was a big home where she had rooms to rent. So he was living there on, on Half Moon Lake. So Todd was last seen at a a keg party and bonfire in the early morning hours of Sunday, June 12th, 2005. That night, an annual kegger was being hosted at an abandoned orchard in a rural part of Casnovia, Michigan. And the part, the area was like this marshy area that contained six miles of hip high grass. And there were around 100 people at the party. Before going to the party, Todd and five of his friends stopped at the Half Moon Bar and Grill at around 730 and headed to the orchard party at around 930. So attendees of the party later reported that there was supposedly a fight that broke out at around 1245 a.m. And there had been a group of guys from Kent City. They're trying to, like, look for a fight. And we're not sure if Todd was involved or not, but it was around this time that he decided to leave the party and head home. So 
Todd apparently left the party to walk to his cousin's house, which he was renting a room at this home. So this is actually where he lived at 291 Moon Court. And it was near Half Moon Lake, about a mile and a half southeast of the party site. And he may or may not have been seen walking along Moon Road. So this obviously is information you receive after. Mm-hmm. We saw somebody walking on that road. Could it have been Todd? Could it not have been? He he matches some general characteristics, but nobody really knows. Right. Well, uh, how we learned that something was wrong was, well, we had been camping um, the day that Saturday, then he went missing that night, and he came up to visit us, and um, he didn't seem in Self totally. Um, he seemed a little cranky, we thought, but you know, whatever, who knows. But um, so anyway, he came up with his sister and spent the day with us. And then when he left, um, he left that night and he was going to attend a party. Um, you know, he was 22 and it was, I, I, from what we heard, it was a, um, uh, orchard party that they have annually for a birthday. And so we, we left the next day to come home. And as far as we knew, he was home safe and sound after that party. Well, at the end of that Sunday, um, I got a call from my sister that's who she lived right by Todd on Half Moon Lake also and said Todd never came home. And my first thought, of course, was he's 22 years old. He probably went somewhere for the night. And and my first thought was, darn it, Todd, you know, you could have called and let somebody know that where you were, you know. You're a man. You can do what you want. But you you should, you know, let people you're living with know. And so, and then I went to bed. I thought, I've got to go to work. And then as I got to bed, I thought, no, this is not like Todd. He had taken our dog over there for the weekend. He would have never not come home with the dog over there. Um, so I called uh, one of her so-called friends. And um, and at that time, she, she acted panicked and said Todd had called her in the middle of the night, about midnight, and said, you know, um, he was hurt in a field and he was breathing funny. We could never really get um, the police to really um, take that serious, that that was something very serious. You know, if she was so frightened about him, why didn't anybody get a phone call? So the call that Todd's friend received came in about between 12.47 a.m. and 12.57 a.m. on Sunday. And the 12.47 one, he called the friend who had driven him to the party and he said he had, quote, had enough and he was walking home. Then he made a series of calls to loved ones, and the last one stated that he was in a field. And the friend called back and heard only what she thought was either breathing or the wind. It just sounded like something just rushing, like a whoosh, before the call ended. The phone was then used twice over the next few minutes in an attempt to call a friend uh, back, with the last attempt ending at 12.57. Now, his phone was not used again after that. And neither were his credit cards, and no one would hear from Todd again. And then I called the police and um, uh, and reported him missing, which legally he wasn't yet. But the police department, the Michigan State Police, were, were great. They pretty much helped us from that Sunday right through Wednesday searching. Um, and, um, and and a lot of it's a blur because I was just plain out of my mind, sick with panic. Um, you know the original the original time um, him missing. So I went over there that Sunday night as well 
to search, but I was so out of my mind that they ended up putting me in the police car to just sit. I remember thinking myself I was going to get lost because I was so just out of my mind with with worry, thinking this can't be, this can't be, he's going to pull in any time. And, um, but anyway, that's how, it was more of a, um, kind of like an out-of-body experience. I, I hope to God I never have to experience that ever again. So after Todd vanished, the area where he was last seen was thoroughly searched three different times. And during one of the searches, around 1,500 volunteers as well as well as aircraft searched the area around the party site and nothing was found. He was missing for three weeks. The three weeks were, you know, my heart really breaks for people who never get to find their child, but just because I know what hell the three weeks was. Um, You know, on one hand, you start to grieve them that they're gone, and then you pretty much slap yourself in the face and go, why are you grieving? They're alive, you don't know. You search wherever you go. If you're riding down the road, you're always looking in ditches. You know, it took me years to stop looking in ditches. Even after we buried him, it took me probably two years to not ride down the road and be looking for his hat or signs of him in a ditch. That sounds crazy. Or looking in a field and not thinking, you know, could he be in that field? Or it, it. But the three weeks were like a, a life on its own. It just, everything you did just to survive, you felt guilty. You know, if I ate, people would bring me food and make me take some food. How can I sit there and eat when he's out there somewhere? Or how can you nod and, and take a nap when, you know, when you're, you're safe and you're taking care of your basic needs and then he could be suffering in a ravine or, you know. At that time, we met, we I kind of suspected I did that he had to have been abducted, but and then of course that enters your mind as he being tortured, you know. So the whole life you lead is during that time is constant scenarios. Is he out? Did somebody abduct him and take him out of the country? Is he um, is he being tortured? Is this a satanic thing? Did somebody hate him enough? Is he dead? You know, the police told us at one point that they thought he was dead, killed and buried in a shallow grave, and yet they had no no proof. And so we said we weren't going to accept it until they found his body. But they met with us and wanted us to believe that. Um, so then again, you're looking for mounds of dirt. You know, our family was out in fields looking for, you know, signs of maybe fresh mound of dirt. It is. It it was three weeks that you really have no description of it. I my heart so breaks for people who never find their children. I am thankful that thankful that after three weeks we were able to find his body. So as Todd's mom Kathy said, it was three weeks. Three weeks had gone by before his body was discovered, and he was found in a remote pond by a couple who was walking around. And according to the couple that found Todd, he was standing upright in Obenhall Lake. His head and his shoulders emerged from the smooth surface of the lake. And he was dead. But it it appeared, it's got to be the most chilling thing to see because it appeared that he was like standing upright. In the water, yeah. Erect in the water. 
So in a normal body that's, that drowns, the gases in the body make the body rise up mm-hmm. and float. And it's usually horizontally that. face down in the water. That's usually how you find what they call body. a floater. Yeah. But Todd was floating vertically in the water. Like a top. Almost looked like he was standing in the water. Like I mean, a buoy. Imagine how... Yeah. Like a buoy. Exactly. Imagine how eerie that must have looked. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. Like and, a horror movie. And the couple saw that and saw it like his head... And it wasn't just his head. It was his head and shoulders sticking out of the water. Probably probably sort of going up like and down. Looked like from afar someone and swimming yeah. and just hanging out. Oh, God. They pull him out of the water. He's got a blood alcohol content of 0.12. And they immediately say cause of death was ruled drowning. The manner of death was ruled undetermined, but the Michigan State Police just closed the case. And one police officer kind of speculated to Todd's mother, Kathy, that her son had probably just gone for a swim. But that didn't make any sense because Todd was fully clothed. He had, he had all his clothes on and he had his wallet in his pocket. And you don't go swimming with your wallet in your Not pocket. Like in the middle of the night. He's also, like... okay, so she, she mentioned in the beginning that they it's a very rural life. They go camping. Todd was an avid outdoorsman. He was into all things masculine. He could wrench on trucks. He could hunt. He could fish. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense that he would drown. Even, dr- I mean, I've been swimming drunk before. Yeah. It's hard to drown. Like, if you know how to swim. Okay. D- don't go, sw- P- PSA here. Don't go swimming drunk, by the way, everybody that's no, listening. No, but I'm just no. saying, but yes, it's unusual. I un- I understand. It's also it is, just like, that's yes. the biggest reach and honestly such an offensive thing to assume. Yes, like, it is. It really is. It really is. Well, our entire family never, ever believed what we were told. Um, when his body was found, the case was closed almost immediately. It was closed uh, before we even got the autopsy or the blood alcohol, blood results, toxicology report back, which we found was very strange. And we were basically told to just accept it, that Todd had probably wandered somehow around that very remote lake where there's no path, there's no way to get around that lake and fell in. Or we were told there was a possibility that he was with other people and he fell in and they panicked. Or maybe he had possibility he had went back there with a girl and maybe he fell in and drowned and she panicked. There was just no investigation. Actually, I felt like there was no value at that point to Todd's life. They, you know, I mean, I've heard of way more investigations on an automobile being found in water than Todd's. It was the people who found him were never questioned. The, um, since then, we've come forward. You know, we found more information. Man, wanted to do it, but at that point, I thought they were just like good riddance. That's how it felt to me. We were in shock when they closed the case before any of the toxicology or autopsy were back. And um, but at that time, the detective said. Oh, no problem, no problem. If any more information comes up, we will um, reopen the case. Well, we thought, well, that's strange, but okay. I mean, we were we didn't know anything about how these things go. And and at that point, we didn't even want to think homicide because we were so shocked that he was dead and we were numb and we could only handle so much that taking on the Michigan State Police was like, there was just no way we had strength in our bodies to do that, you know? 
question them. And and so, and, and at that point, we did not realize that once a case is closed, it takes an act of God to reopen it because they hold on firm to not reopening it. So Todd's family obviously had doubts about how he actually died, but they didn't know how to go up against the police. And they also didn't put much stock in the official report and ruling of accidental death because nothing makes sense in this case. And Todd's autopsy revealed that Todd had no water in his lungs. And remember, they said that he the cause of death was ruled drowning. And when a person drowns, they'll have a collection of water in their lungs. And they also tend to float face down. And remember, he was found pretty much sitting straight up. And his body was only moderately decomposed when the body should have had advanced decomposition if it was in warm water for 21 days. There's no mention of insects, debris, or any sand on or in his body in the autopsy report. And between, and this is something I learned. Okay, so by the way, there is that uh, the oxygen documentary right. that there's a full episode dedicated to Todd. And they had interviewed the guy that owned the property that they had the orchard party on. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of talking about the trek that one would take from the orchard party to where he was found in that lake. And he basically was saying that it was like a super dense foresty area. And at the time there were all of these plants that had a bunch of sharp prick prickers and thorns and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, and he's like, like uh, spur bird. What are they called? Spurs? Yeah. The things that, like stick, that to, stick you. to you. Yeah. And he was saying there's no way that one would be able to like walk through there without getting scratched or anything like that. And when they did the autopsy, there's no kind of uh, injury. That would have come that from he that. went through like he, a thick forest. Yeah, like he's that. like, it's not easy to walk through that forest mm -hmm. whatsoever. So yeah, and another thing is that so they they brought dogs out. Remember, we had the dogs as was searched first. They followed Todd's scent on this dirt road that was leaving the orchard party that led in the direction to Todd's house, which was actually away from the lake where his body was found. And they lose the scent once the dirt road meets up with this larger paved road. And there's also something that really complicates the case, which is the time frame, the time of death. And they get into this a lot on the Oxygen show. Two or three years after he passed, a friend of ours um, gave me a magazine that had an article on Kevin Gannon and how he was investigating almost identical scenarios. So I got, it was a number and I got a hold of Kevin. And then we start, I started communicating with Kevin and realizing the very terrifying fact that Todd's case was identical to other young men. And, um, and Kevin really showed me patterns and that this was not only Todd's secluded case but it was connected which actually pulled together a lot of pieces that we didn't understand in Todd's case which actually helped us put pieces of puzzle that per fit perfectly of why why this and why that so you just heard Kathy talk about being contacted by Kevin Gannon so who is Kevin Gannon? So he's a retired New York Police Department detective. And he and a few other retired and active law enforcement have 
recently been pursuing leads and evidence in kind of proving this theory of these smiley face killers. And once him and Kathy connected, he and she believed that Todd's case was very similar to other cases that Kevin was investigating. And there were a lot of commonalities between all of them. But in terms of the smiley face killer theory, so basically what they believe is that there is an alleged network of unknown serial killers that target college age men and dump their bodies in nearby waterways before leaving smiley face symbols in graffiti at the death sites. The team also believes that assailants drug the young men with debilitating substances such as GHB. Now, Jack and I were doing a lot of work on this episode yesterday, and we were talking about how one of probably the the worst parts of parts. Of, I mean, every case needs like a mark branding yeah. if you want to get attention towards a case. But it was a mistake to run with what the, Jack the smiley face because when you like look into it, it'd be one thing if people are putting like smiley. If they're drawing a smiley face on, on the body on the body on their forehead or something with a sharpie or like something but it's like these smiley faces that they're fi- it's such a reach none of them look the same they're within a bunch of other graffiti so it's like but i understand that if there wasn't this kind of hook brand and a hook to get somebody in they probably wouldn't have gotten the show and they wouldn't have been able to bring these cases to light yeah and th- that's the thing it, it helps and it hurts but it was what they're doing is when they throw the blanket on all of these then everything gets gets put in the same bucket Mm -hmm. and then when the fbi comes and says there's no such thing as a smiley face killer it's almost tantamount to saying these are these are all accidents and that's bad because there's a couple of cases this in particular i have problems with and i have problems with like dakota james's case as well those are cases that i'm just like there's something really bad here but having it be part of the of this overarching thing of this smiley face killer is it's really detrimental to those cases. If it just had a more um, neutral name, the name is the terrible. Name is bad. And then also, it just really it it dumbs these really fucked up Serious things, down. things down. These really tragic deaths that there are so there's so much suspicious activity in. It dumbs them down to something that's just like like. Oh. But that's the thing. This we would feel this way even if there were smiley faces at every scene, and it. it I think just the name turns people off. Yeah. But again, we're not saying that there's not smiley faces near these scenes. We're not no, saying. There is, I mean, there are. Right. So we're saying that we're, we're not discrediting their, their evidence or their theories. They might. We just have a problem with this name. But it's, but again, and then it goes back to it. It's like, there, do you think that they would have been able to get a show and get, like garner this much attention if it, if they had. No, of course not. No. Right. So it's like, it, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Totally. But our our stance on this is we're going to present the evidence that they have provided and their evidence that they say proves that these are connected. And we're going to present the conflicting evidence and we're we're going to leave it up to you guys because it's not really our place. No, we haven't seen this evidence ourselves. So this is what she's referencing when she says, you know, Kevin contacted me and it's it's this huge relief for her because She's known for a long time that something was not right about her son's death. And I agree in that the circumstances surrounding Todd's death, and I'm not speaking on the others right now. um, I'm speaking on Todd's. It is very suspicious. Super suspicious. And I'm sure for her to know 
that there was always something wrong and the police just like shut the case up like immediately and to never get that like sense of not even justice but like what the fuck happened and then to know that she's not alone and there are other cases with the same kind of like suspicious stuff going on totally and i think it's one of those things too where it's like it was just easy it's easier for cops to button it up and say it was an accidental drowning yeah then expend resources to look into it and listen in their defense it's like you do see a lot of accidental drownings you do see a lot of drug deaths you you see a lot of college-age kids dying unfortunately accidentally by partying too hard or mm-hmm. whatever and it might have just been easier to throw them in that box than to dig a little bit deeper well, actually, from the very first, we knew homicide. Even though we weren't strong enough to face it after three weeks, you know, without eating and drinking, we were really under um, post-traumatic stress disorder, big time, all of us. I mean, we literally lost our hair, or half of our hair from the stress of it. And so we knew right away that it was not, did not make sense that Todd um, was heading home walking and then was found in the opposite direction floating in a remote lake three weeks later and it was a small remote lake that we had actually had searched by search dogs and we searched for three weeks for his body long after the police gave up so um, that did not make sense but what made more sense in connecting well there was a lot of things that really didn't make sense but as we connected more with Kevin Gannon some of these little offshoot things of maybe it being a bigger we knew it was homicide but that it could have been connected to a bigger thing made more sense uh like a month before todd died todd had went to lansing with someone and and then said this particular person was into some weird shit well that was his exact word you know just even piecing that together in a bigger realm of connection with some of these other cases and and also the fact that um, we never knew until we really talked to Kevin and talked to outside people looking at Todd's case that Todd did not have the decomposition that would have been equivalent to him being in the water for three weeks. We we didn't know that until his case. You know, as far as everything we questioned with the police, it was, um, oh, don't worry about that. That's all science. You know, don't worry about that. Well, and then then again, I add, for a couple of years, we weren't in a condition to be able to really say, look, we know this is homicide. We knew at some point that this would be investigated because we knew it was homicide. All the signs, all the markers, the pieces, it was obvious to us it was a planned out murder. Todd did not just fall in a lake. Todd could swim. And he was living on Half Moon Lake. For heaven's sake, if he wanted to go swimming, he would have went where he was heading in the first place to where he lived with a beautiful beach in his front yard. So we obviously asked Kathy how she felt to maybe know that her son's case was connected to others. I mean, is it a relief or is it horrifying to think that this is one of many or if there's foul play going on rather than it being accidental? There is a, a relief that somebody's listening. There's a relief that your little boy has value, that he is not just swept away, that um, even though this connection uh, to a group is horrifying, um, there is a relief in knowing, having answers to know possibly why 
um, and how this happened, you know, to have those answers. There is a relief that somebody listens and um, that the pieces the pieces do make sense and that it's not, it's true, I, I know we're not supposed to throw stones at the police, but I'll be honest, through the, through the years of him being gone, I, I never found any, when I would find someone who would actually listen, they were either pulled off the job or they were promoted or they were out of my realm again. Anyone that saw, you know, saw what to, to actually listen to me. Um, and I hope that just continue, doesn't continue because our prosecutors do seem to be listening. But we haven't heard from them for a while. So I'm hoping that pattern does not continue. You know, um, so there's so much unknown on, on why they refuse to look at it. But at least I have the peace of knowing that there's a, a reason they might not be looking at it. And it's not just that they find Todd so little value. You know, if someone killed the neighbor's horse, there would be an investigation. If someone, you know, killed the neighbor's dog, I mean, that warrants great investigation and people bring brought to justice. And here, every sign on my son's death points to homicide. And his case has literally been dead in the water. Literally. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor Meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor Meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, 
resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. So people start taking a closer look, finally, at Todd's case. And at this 2009 medical examiner's conference, a forensic pathologist named Dr. Michael Sakurka presented Todd's case and the crime scene recovery and the autopsy photos to all these other forensic pathologists. And everyone who saw them agreed that it looked like Todd hadn't been dead for 21 days, that he had only been dead for two or three days before his body was found. So what does that mean? Remember, he had gone missing and he was, and he was found three, day, three weeks later. That means that not only, uh, if they're saying that, if they're saying that he had only been dead for two or three days, that he was not only the victim of foul play, it wasn't just a homicide, but it would have been a kidnapping and an unlawful detainment by someone, you know, a group of people who knows why, why they would have done it. And remember, the autopsy revealed that Todd had no water in his lungs. And while taking a closer look into the case, Kevin Gannon, who is was doing this documentary on oxygen for the smiley face killer he ended up meeting with dr eric ben bow who is a ben bow what an interesting last name Ma- too. more good names <laughs> such good names. it's a uh, ben pang burn and ben bow boy um dr ben bow was a forensic biologist and he ended up ended up setting up this experiment where he put five different pig carcasses into a pond that was similar to the one that todd was found in just to study how a body would have decomposed over those 21 days so he sampled three carcasses every other day and left two untouched for the full 21 days and what they found was the carcasses collected aquatic insects in just a single day and they had laid eggs on the third day. And by the 21st day, the body was completely collapsed from in- insect activity. And they show this on the show. And it is insane how much the body, like, it is left to nothing. 21 days. 21 I mean, days. think about if you left a, pe- a chicken leg out that long. Yeah. Anywhere. Like, meat decomposes really quickly. Especially when insects are, and I mean, it's like a marshy kind of swampy area. Yeah, and he wasn't completely submerged. Remember, I mean, the way that they have it and the way that they show in the documentary, and you can see some and, pictures, yeah. is that he was he was upright, remember? And His shoulders he, were in there. And you know? had he gone in there day one, he wouldn't have been upright. Yeah. No, no. he Yeah, his body would have changed position. Completely. So in addition to the body decomposition, there was this thick biofilm and green algae on the clothing, and they ended up, on, on so they ended up dressing these pigs and like the same kind of clothes that he was wearing to see what kind of like algae would form or how the clothes would change as well. And none of this was apparent on Todd's clothing whatsoever. So it's concluded that it was unlikely that Todd's body and clothing had been in the water for 21 days because his body should have been completely decimated and, and engulfed by insect activity. Yeah. And Todd wasn't a little guy. He's 5'11". He's 180 pounds. 
Um, he's an athlete. He's an outdoorsman. And even if he was drunk, he'd be, he'd be tough to disable and to kidnap. Uh, he, he had survival know-how, you know, and it's really unlikely. It would be an unlikely theory then. So if we were to believe the theory from, from these biologists, from Ben Bow, the biologist, and from these pathologists that looked at it, that he had only been in the water two or three days, you, then the police are not going to go back and say, well, he spent three weeks wandering around lost in the woods right. and then fell in. That's crap. That, that didn't happen. Uh, and he probably also, on top of the fact that he probably wouldn't have gone swimming anyway, fully clothed um, after, after having been missed for so long. That, that's just not it. He was so close to home. It just didn't happen. So if Todd was abducted and had been the victim of foul play, what are the explanations for this? And you have to look at drugs. So following Todd's autopsy, the investigators learned that the 22-year-old had alcohol in his system as well as a large dosage of antidepressants. Desipramine and De- amitriptyline in De- his system. Desip- Billy, say it again. Desipramine. Desipramine. Billy's sad, so he knows what this is. <laughs> oh, it was in his system. And amitriptyline. I said amitriptyline correctly. Okay, right. Oh, my God. Damn it. The family reported that Todd was not suffering from any form of depression at the time of his death and would not have been prescribed either of these medications, which led a team of investigators to believe he had possibly been given these substances maliciously. And Kevin Gannon and other members of his team met with pharmacist David McDermott to learn more about the 500 nanograms of medication found in Todd's autopsy report. And this is one of the more elusive uh, characteristics of this crime. Right. In that, like, he wasn't given drugs by his friends at the party. He, you know, he was found. It's important. Also, just like a weird, quote unquote, party drug to have. Like, that's not something. It's not like you're doing It's not a recreational drug. Exactly. No, it's not. And McDermott explains to them that these two drugs, they're in the same class and they would not be prescribed at the same time to the same patient because they would have these additive effects that would jump on top of each other. And you need a written prescription for them. So, and they're not typically, you know, one person would not have both of them. So it would be, Hmm. you know, uh, they're not known to be abused, like you guys are saying, or, or taken on a recreational basis. And, but they could be kind of easily crushed up. This is what the doctor said and slipped into a drink. He noted that the recipient of the drugs could start seeing symptoms such as confusion, hallucinations, cardiac arrest, coma, seizures within an hour of consumption. Kevin has been a godsend to bring us some answers for things like the drugs that were in Todd's system were enough to kill an elephant. Well, all the way down the line for years, I've been trying to get my police to tell me that. What would happen with that? Well, we don't really know. You don't use the Michigan State Police. You have forensic people, you know? I mean, we really don't know how that happened. You know, I mean, I feel like we have fed them information for years, spoon fed them, and they spit it out. That's just how I feel. So Kevin Gannon and Kathy Guybe have since presented these findings, along with other forensic evidence, to the Michigan State Police, who granted Kathy a meeting with the Muskegon? Muskegon? Muskegon. Muskegon. He's just making this up. I don't think that's how it's pronounced. Why don't you look it up? Muskegon. Muskegon. It sounds like a dinosaur. 
Muscogon. Muscogon <laughs> County Prosecutor. And he requested a full analysis of the discoveries, and Kathy is still waiting to hear if they will reinvestigate her son's case. The most compelling link to me between not only these six deaths, but many, 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 many of these other deaths. The, the graffiti, of course, is one, but it's way beyond the graffiti. I find it very, very, very strange that all of these young men do not have the amount of decomposition they should have for the amount of time they were missing. That in itself is, to me, warrants the FBI should be involved. Why don't they, they were missing weeks, months, why don't they have the decomposition? Interiorly, Todd's case had been had been taken to a, a national convention of the top-notch medical examiners and pathologists, and they all agreed Todd did not have the decomposition of three weeks in the water. So where was he? You know, that I think is the most compelling thread here that would w warrant huge investigations. For every one of these six moms that we are together on this series, where was our boys? That in itself is like, okay, they were missing and they looked like they had just died. Were they killed immediately and preserved? Or were they kept somewhere? You know, I, I mean, that's huge. And as a parent or any person that loves that person, that is huge to find out where they were for weeks or months. Were they suffering? Were they tortured? Were they drugged up? Or were they kept in a cooler? Dead. So who's responsible for Todd's bizarre and tragic death? As we said at the top of the show, this is a really small town. And everybody knows everybody's business, whether you mean to or not. But it seems like Todd's story was just a blip on the radar when it came to local news. It's true. And each of these cases, these because they were ruled accidental deaths, they didn't really warrant much media attention because no one wants to broadcast that. That's not a salacious, intriguing thing to broadcast on TV. So I asked Kathy whether or not, no, what I asked Kathy was why she thinks people have a hard time accepting this theory. Um, and not everybody believes this theory, and that's okay. And we're not even sold on the theory. We are. I am sold on Todd's homicide. Absolutely. I'm sold on the fact that Todd was murdered. I don't know enough about the series, and we will know by our next episode to determine our thoughts on it at least. But what I did ask her was about why she thinks people have a hard time accepting that um, essentially men like Todd strapping 22-year-old guys are vulnerable to these kinds of crimes. I think there are several reasons people don't want to do this. And I think one of them is the reason that these are young, healthy, strong men. And that in itself connects them all. There isn't an out-of-shape boy in there. They're in the same age bracket. Um, that in itself, and then I um, connects them in an odd way. I mean, what's the chances of it not being somebody obese or or a little skinny scrawny kid. It's all the same kid. But I think um, 
that is one reason that people turn their back on it. Oh, drug deal gone bad, or he probably was with somebody's girl, or you know, you you don't want to apply it to your own life that this could happen to anybody. And I do believe if these were women or any minority whatsoever, I think there would be screaming from one end of this nation to the other that there is, you know, so much of it is ignored and the parents are in such shock that, you know, they don't even know how to connect with each other. Um, had not been for Kevin Gannon, uh, I'm so thankful that he doesn't give up. Um, he's encouraging and he has more facts if they, if they would just listen to what he's got. But, um, and just listen to what, and it, you know, what he has learned. But I do agree with you. I do think that that is that women, that if this was women or any minority, people would be screaming that it's because it's young, healthy men who are leaving bars or parties. And, um, that it's easy to sweep under the rug. It's easy not to feel sorry for him. He had that coming somehow. You know, that tends to be the response. Hey, if you go out drinking or you go out to go to a party, well, you get what you get. Well, I don't know about you, but at that age, most of us did some partying, you know. Um, it doesn't mean you were falling down drunk. Todd was not falling down drunk when he left the party. And they only tracked his footprints up to M37. And it was obvious to anyone but the police, he was abducted at M37. So why do people reject this theory? Men being perceived as vulnerable victims is just not something that our society likes to hear. Mm-hmm. The idea that they're being drugged too, if they are vulnerable victims, they, they, they want to see them being you know shot or stabbed. Um, the idea of them being drugged and possibly being at parties and their drinks being spiked. You often, I mean, you, you actually do see this in uh, warnings. You see it in the gay community. You see um, mm-hmm. about people spiking your drinks, but you don't see it really in the heterosexual community. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that being said at a college campus right. or something. You know what I mean? You hear it for women all the time. Watch your drinks. Yeah. Buddy system. I mean, travel with friends. No, it's like, it's, it's completely like f- the, like gender norms almost in a murder like this are just flipped on its ass basically. Like, well, it's interesting when I talk to male friends, I I say to them, like, listen, do you realize like every time I'm in a parking garage, every time in a parking lot, every time I have to walk alone in the dark, I'm like completely alert. I have something in my hand. I could stab them with whether it's keys or whatever. And that's something that just weighs on and not, it's just, it's the norm for women and men. And they say in response is like, that never even occurred to me to not be to feel unsafe but, in like the dark. But I will say this. I will say that that occurs to me. And I'm usually very safe yeah, when it comes to being alone like because I work in a, weir- in a yeah, weird world. I've seen too much but I will say when I, and this is not an invitation for anybody to fucking come and drug me. But <laughs> when I am at a bar and say you got to go to the bathroom, what do you do? You put the coaster on top yeah. of the drink and then you go. Not to, that go to the that thing. even makes a difference. Well, no, it's so somebody save your so, spot. So save your spot. So somebody doesn't. So they, it's what you're doing there is you're telling the bartender, "I'm coming back." Yeah, I know. But but even so, it's just the way that these men died. If they were homicides, that's also just not a way that that men, men usually are usually are killed. killed. And this, and especially like going back to like a college age athletic 
guy like at a party this this just doesn't really happen that often so if if these were a bunch of girls that were being killed in the same exact manner if everything was the same except for it were girls would it be getting more attention well kathy brings this up and she also says like if it was because okay i will say the one other thing we'll share about the smiley face killers in their theory is that they call it a hate crime Mm-hmm. And their theory is that whoever it is, because they kill like privileged, white, white, athletic, r- strong men that like that's what they call it. That's that's their theory on what it is, because they're also similar because Kathy brought up another interesting point is that none of them are skinny. None of them are fat. Like their body types exactly the same. Like uh, their success, success levels very similar. So. Right. If it were women, would people be up in arms? Probably. But it it depends on the women. If they're prostitutes, probably not. Absolutely. If they were. But that but just on drugs, definitely not. But just yeah, just change the gender. Their theory up in an uproar. You're completely right, because their theory makes more sense for women being drugged with GHB abducted. Uh, that's usually what happens. Like women are raped for days or a few days or whatever. And and then killed and killed. So. I think people just have a hard time wrapping their head around uh, the victimology in that, like, a killer would do this. And also, it takes a lot more to overpower a man. Like, Billy, you said earlier, where it's like he was 5'11", he was 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's no easy task. Yeah. But when they're inebriated on drugs and... It's a lot easier. Right. And they did a um, a test on, at least they discussed the level of drugs in in Todd's system it's so much that he would have, it would have been hard for him to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, dis- it disputes the theory that he walked to this lake by himself and walked through the brush. It's like he was likely brought somewhere. I mean, I don't know. Just it's so crazy. Anybody would just go for a walk in the middle of the night to a remote lake in itself to go for a swim. To go for a swim? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all to begin with. Not only that, so uh, Kathy mentioned earlier, which we should talk about, is that Todd lived at a house that had its own beach. Mm-hmm. He lived on a lake, half of the lake. And the house he lived in had a beach in his front so yard. if he wanted to go have a little... If he wanted in, to go have a swim, he would take his wallet out of his pocket and go have a swim. No, he's yeah. going to have a swim in their f- fully clothed in the middle of the night. Like, that's just so fucking crazy to me. Yeah. Right. And... and- you know, there's there's a ground zero for this case. It's La Crosse, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they bring it up because I haven't watched all the episodes, but La Crosse, Wisconsin has had eight of, yeah, of these. A lot, I think they're the most And they actually have spotters. They have kids in the same way that you would be part of the Glee Club or whatever at your college. That college, the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse, they actually have spotters that, that hang out by the water and, and wait for kids to, to, to fall in. It does happen... You know, they get drunk, they walk, they walk towards the water, and then some of them fall in. You can hit your head, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they've, they came out with a statement and said, no, there's nothing here. Um, the, you know, these were all drunk guys uh, that ac- accidentally drowned. Uh, they fell in, they slipped in or something like I don't that. fall that much when I drink. It's just crazy. It's just a stretch. And then also, don't you think if, if there was somebody that's out there killing people in a certain area and then they see they have spotters like maybe they'd go to a different area you know it's not my nature to really like to go public but we have to we have to go public with our hurts and our stories and our devastation because 
We all have families. We all have loved ones. This is going on. I mean, just in our area, just in my area in the last years, there's been five or six of them. And you don't hear much about it on the news, just that this young man was found in water, and that's the last you hear of it. You know, missing so long and then found in water. You know, this is so much bigger than the nation knows, and, and, and why it's being kept quiet, I don't know. So people aren't afraid that there's some kind of serial killing going out there, and is it, you know, or what? But, you know, as mothers, like, we appreciate Spotlight putting on it put on it because not just for our boys but for the nation you know that this is going on this has got to stop so we've obviously only scratched the surface on this theory and while it being called the smiley face theory it's a challenging thing to accept but i will say todd the circumstances surrounding todd's death uh suggests that there should be like a light onto this theory because there's something here yeah and billy the one you said i know uh the cases that you're versed in there are others that raise a lot of red flags yeah so we're not saying with certainty that there is a smiley face killer that they are graffitiing near murders but i do think there's something to the fact that um some of these are homicides and listen we don't even know if any of them are connected and we're going to dig deeper next week. And I just, I really, for Kathy, it's like, obviously Todd, I don't think Todd would, died accidentally. No. And I really ha- connected with her when I talked to her and I thought she was so lovely and the pain she's been through. I think his case was swept under the rug. And, you know, she has not had at least like, Imagine being a parent, which Billy can't imagine. It's like your kid dies under suspicious circumstances and nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. So in, in the people who have the power to do something about it don't care. Right. And the resources to help figure it out don't care. So I can't imagine that frustration. So at the very least, I'm happy Todd had his own episode. And we are going to dig into this smiley face theory because it has a stupid name. But... Some of these cases are not accidental deaths. Right. And so Todd is one of dozens of similar cases. And I mean, at the very least, we're trying to like bring light to something that did get swept under the rug and it deserves attention and it deserves to be re looked at at least like at the very, very least. So, I mean, you guys out there might have a connection to another one of these cases and if you do we want to hear from you um so please write us and then also if you guys are connected to a murder or other stranger than fiction story write us as well our instagram is at the first degree at alexis Linkletter, at billy jensen at jack vanick and we still have our submissions page up on our website and i hope by the time this airs we'll have our merch store merch I've been working on. Yes, merch. Merch, merch, merch. Also, merch, Jack's merch. dad. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Panic. My dad's helping us set up the merch store. Um, okay. And then, so next week, we're going to be diving into the smiley face killer theory and also just our own thoughts about all these different cases and which one of them that we do believe um, are definitely homicides. So until then, uh, keep your friends close, but not that close. Turn the lights on, lock your doors. Over and out. Happy. Happy. What day was that? It was frozen food day. Frozen food day.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 